All right. Well, now that we have taken our pop quiz, let's pray, and then we're going to read through the disciplines, and you can see how you did. So let's pray first. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning one more time just to ask for you to meet us here, Lord, to teach us from your word. Lord, I do pray um, that my words would honor you, that they would be helpful to everyone here. Lord, you are such a good God, and you love us, and you care for us, Lord, and we are thankful. So, Lord, now as we spend this time together, I, I do pray that it would benefit all of us. Father, thank you for being our God and loving us. In Jesus' name. All right, so you have the disciplines in front of you. So, the Wellspring purpose is to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd their hearts toward Jesus Christ with the gospel of God so that they live gospel-transformed lives, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. Discipline one, the heart. She prayerfully shepherds her heart toward God through the word of God and in particular, the gospel. Discipline two, the home. She ministers to those in her household with her heart for God and the gospel. Discipline three, ministry. With a heart for God and the gospel and fulfilling her ministry within her household, she steps into the church to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. And the Wellspring verse is, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Proverbs 4.23 So, how did you do? Okay. So, those are the disciplines. And today what we're going to talk about is the discipline of shepherding my heart. And we know that our heart is the inner man. That's, it's not just that thing that thumps in your chest, but it's when we're speaking of heart, we're speaking of you, who you are. Not, not your body, but your, your spirit, your soul, the, your inner man inner woman. Um, so when you hear the term shepherding my heart, what comes to mind? Does anybody want to jump in? What comes to mind when you hear shepherding your heart? Using God's word to care for yourself rather than you. Right answer, Katie. Right. Sweet. <laughs> um, Oftentimes, what can happen, it can be shorthand for reading my Bible, spending time with the Lord, quiet time, referring to that set time that we spend with the Lord. And that is part of shepherding our heart. And so there's really two aspects. There's that, but then there's what Katie said. It's throughout the day. And that's where I'm going to spend the bulk of my time is the throughout the day part, but I just want to give some reminders, and this will be on your hand, on your handout thing. Um, so, the first thing, shepherding our hearts when our Bibles are open. 
So why do we read our Bible? Is, is it just because Grace Bible Church encourages that, that we spend time in God's Word? If we were going to XYZ Church in New York, would we be shepherding our hearts with our Bibles open? Well, I would hope so, okay? But why do we read our Bibles? It's we come to the Word of God to meet with the God of the Word. That's, that's like the answer right there. We come to the Word of God to meet with the God of the Word. And then why do we come before the Lord with our Bible open? Well, John 17.3 says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. How in the world do we get to know this God? place. He reveals himself in his word. So we want to grow in our knowledge of God. We want to grow in expressing our love for God. We want to grow in our enjoyment and and delight in God. We want to grow in our fear and reverence of God. We want to grow in our understanding of our need for God. And we want to grow in our relationship with God. We want to grow in holiness. And we could probably keep going. The older I get, the more I realize how much I need the Lord and how much I need to be in God's Word to know the God of the Word. So that's the encouragement for that why 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 do we put such an emphasis on on spending time in God's word it's so that we know the lord and so that's that kind of encouragement there um the time we spend with the lord in his word will lay the foundation for the rest of the time and as we know there are a lot of different methods of how you spend time with the Lord. Now, when I say that, you may be thinking, well, what do you mean a lot of different methods? Well, for example, I have a feeling if we went through and asked who's doing what reading plan, there might be a couple that are similar or the same, but there would probably be a whole lot of different methods of how you shepherd your heart with God's word. But the principle is that we do spend time with the Lord in his word. And so, again, the big focus for me today is those times where we're living life. While we're working, taking care of kids, while our homes, while we're shopping, cleaning, driving. I mean, I know some of you spend a ton of time in your cars. You're driving your life away because you're hauling kids here and there every day, multiple times a day. Um, It's where we spend the majority of our time. Most most of us spend, you know, this much time in God's Word and this, this much time the rest of the time living life. And even though I know I can get distracted and my mind wanders and I have to yank it back in, when I'm sitting with my Bible open and I'm trying to concentrate and think, I know, I know that can be distracting 
you know, my light, my mind can wander. But I know during the rest of the day, my mind can really wander. Oh, wait a minute. Just realize I absolutely forgot to bring one of the best quotes that my husband gave me. Oh well, it's I'll I'll abbreviate it. It's Paul Tripp um, talking about the difference between listening to ourselves and talking to ourselves. And we have to admit, whose voice do you hear more than anybody else's all the time, pretty much twenty four seven? If you wake up in the middle of the night. Whose voice do you hear? Your own. And so that's why we have to train our voice to, to speak truth. So that's kind of where we're going today. So I want to mention something. You have prayer books, right? You guys. And in them, you have what's known has become infamously known around here as the circles. I'm just curious, who's heard the circles lesson before? Raise your hand. Okay, so it's changing, <laughs> which is uh, for me a tad scary. But I, you know, Tom, my husband, and Scott Maxwell worked on this lesson together. And so when I was asked to teach it, I was like, well, okay, I like the circles. I think this is great. But I came up with something different. So hopefully it will make sense. As I explained it to Tom, he thought it made a lot of sense. So we now have what maybe this will be changed to the infamous spiral lesson, okay? <laughs> so you will at some point need these. Um, so I, I just wanted to kind of give that disclaimer, and I did get permission. Um, and so I want to take a look first at this one. Okay, so the orange spinning out of control. So this is me listening to myself, my thoughts, my reasoning. It's wrong thinking, and if you want, you could write wrong thinking across the top. I almost put it on there, but then I decided that was too busy. Um, but this is a downward spiral, and it starts with, it starts oftentimes innocently enough with a desire. And so the definition of a desire is to want something, to long or hope for. Now, desires are not necessarily evil. One way to tell if what I want is, is okay, you know, to tell whether or not it's evil, is do I want this something more than I want God, or am I willing to disobey God to get it? Now, there are some things that we know right off the bat are evil, sinful desires. It is always sinful to desire something that God forbids. So, if I am desiring to get drunk, don't you might as well just stop there because you know that's evil. Um, <laughs> wanting somebody else's husband, stealing... Anything that is clearly sinful needs to just be repented up 
right there. Don't even bother going through the diagrams. Just know you are in sin. You need to stop. If and and I think it's so important that we understand that desires can be evil. And in today's day, with homosexuality, there's some confusion as to whether or not the desire is sinful. And I will submit to you, based on scripture, that those desires are evil. It is as evil for someone to desire homosexual relationships as it is for someone to desire adulterous relationships, fornication, whatever, you know, stealing, lying. If it's sin, it's a desire. Just because you might feel it doesn't make it okay. So, now that I'm probably in big trouble, but with somebody out there listening in cyberspace. So, anyways, um, I want to remind you... um, was everybody here for Josh Kelso's message Sunday? If you missed it, I would really encourage you to listen to it. His message was from James 1.13, and I think this fits perfectly. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So, just if you get a chance to listen to that message, it goes along. Because sometimes with desires, we can try and make it seem like that's a good desire. And it's not. And it does lead to death. I mean, down at the bottom of the page, after despairing, death. So, I wanted to bring this quote from the Tyndale Bible Dictionary, because I think it's helpful when we're looking at desires. So, evil desire, therefore, is not necessarily a desire for something that one might label as wicked. It is essentially the desire to have one's own way. As such, it is idolatry, putting self in place of God. So how do we distinguish between good desire and bad desire? Ultimately, there is one basic issue. Is a person's desire self-centered or a desire for God's will? The Bible teaches that the essence of sin is a determination to have one's own way. So we've talked about evil desires that we know are sinful. But where I want to spend more time is those kind of neutral choices. So maybe I want a bigger house, or I want a newer car, I want to have children, I want to have grandchildren, I want marriage, I want to be respected, I want to be treated kindly. None of those things in and of themselves are sinful. There is nothing wrong with wanting a house, maybe a bigger house. There's not necessarily anything wrong with that. Where we get in trouble, though, is when I want it at all cost. So I start with that desire. And in in my mind, this is kind of how I look at it with my hand open. Okay, so I'm desiring, I don't know, put in 
my hand, whatever it is. Well, now I go from my desire. And now I think, hmm, I deserve this. I deserve marriage, kids, family, you know, somebody to respect me, what, whatever the case may be. And now I'm thinking I deserve it. It's thinking that God owes me something because, God, look what I've done for you. I take care of the one-year-olds. You need to do for me because of what I do for you. I've prayed, Lord. I've given money. I Look at, all, look, look at me. I'm so wonderful. Look at what I've done. So now my desire becomes, well, I deserve it because of all I've done for you. And then it becomes a demand. And all I can say about a demand of God is, I don't know, that's just foolish. We're going to demand something from God? I, that's crazy. So now I'm not getting what I desire and what I think I deserve, and now I'm demanding and that leads to disappointment, discouragement, and despair. It's, it's that starts out okay, and by now at the end, I am shaking my fist at God. And one of the ways I think that this diagram can be helpful is it's almost like um, a diagnosis. So you can look and see what kind of symptoms do you have. And on this one, you can see I've broken it down into attitudes and actions. And they sometimes overlap. But oftentimes when I am demanding something of God, my attitude will be prideful and arrogant. Proverbs 28:25 says, an arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. So I may be prideful and arrogant and strife is all around me. I'm wise in my own estimation. Proverbs 26:12 says, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Romans 12:16 says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. A great example of, of the spiral and of that James passage is King Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but remember Nebuchadnezzar was up on his roof and had, you know, was looking around, and here's what he said. He, and the king reflected, and I thought, you know, sometimes when we reflect, we can talk to ourselves and tell ourselves, like King Nebuchadnezzar did, I'm pretty good, I'm all that. He reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty. And the next thing you know, he's out living like a cow. His nails grow really long and icky and his hair and scraggly. And that I believe he was out there seven years. We don't want to be King Nebuchadnezzar, being wise in our own estimation. Another symptom is... We're without peace. 
And Romans 3.17 says, and the path of peace they have not known. As we are in a place where we are demanding something of God, we will not have peace. Bitterness can be around us. Our, my attitude is bitter, um, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. I can become a lover of pleasure and comfort rather than a lover of God. Obviously, angry. Anger follows this. I didn't get what I wanted. God, I am angry at you. Um, anxious and fearful. And when we think about being anxious and fearful, just remember Matthew 6, 27. Who of you, being, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? We can become ungrateful. So if I see that I'm ungrateful, I can examine myself and I can think, I'm going down the wrong path. Envy and jealousy. Those attitudes are, are just another mark of being on the wrong path and being hopeless. Ephesians 2.12 at the end of the verse says, having no hope and without God in the world. That's, that's where I can get to if I'm not shepherding my heart the way that I should. And my actions are equally as bad. These are more symptoms. So if I'm examining myself and I see, wow, I am demanding, um, that's another sign. Lover of self. And ladies, we live in a time, and it's been like this now, this really started, well, it's probably all of, all of time, but I think we've really started seeing it where it's actually taught from some churches that you need to love yourself before you can love others. That started, I think it was maybe in the 80s, and it's now it's almost just... You know, because it's been so often that you'll hear that. You just need to love yourself. Then you can love others. That is not what Scripture says. Scripture says, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and here's the really terrifying part. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And that's what the last days are going to look like. And I, I think we're seeing that. Boasting. That's another action that we may see that should concern us. That may tell we're not in a good place. James 4.16 says, But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Grumbling. And there, I put some examples of grumbling for you. Oh, no, I did not. I left them off. Hmm. You might want to put by that Exodus 16.8. John 7.12. And Jude 16. 
June, Jude 16 says, These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. If that's what you're doing, if you see those actions, you need to check up on yourself. Biting and devouring. Galatians 5.15, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. If you're biting and devouring, check up on yourself. Disputing. There's disputes and and all what what fascinates me as I go through these scriptures, so often you don't see one sin like just see somebody being demanding. You usually see a whole host of them, just like Galatians 5.20. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. Sin doesn't come all by itself. It comes with its little friends, and it does bite and devour you. Um, Being critical, criticizing, and judging. Those, again, are some actions you'll see that are indicators that things aren't right. Being prayerless and or not asking God. Um, Joshua 9, 14 is an example of um, the men of Israel took some of their provisions. They didn't ask counsel of the Lord and the Gibeonites tricked them. That's one example. Um, And James 4.2 says, You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And withdrawing. And that is a huge indicator that things are not right. Proverbs 18.1 says, He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. If you find yourself, well, you're here, so you didn't do it today. (laughs) But if you find yourself in a place where you're not in a good place and you find yourself, yeah, I'm not going to go to small group. Oh, I'm not going to go to Wellspring. Oh, I think I'm going to, you know, I'm I'm just not going to make it to church. And you find yourself in that pattern, find someone and tell them, I need help. Because I will tell you from experience, that is one of the most common things that you will see with somebody that is getting themselves embroiled in sin, is they withdraw, withdraw, withdraw. Please if you, if your heart's going that direction, get your buddy, get your discussion group leader, call me, call one of the elders, call Chris, call somebody and say, I'm not in a good spot. And if you see one of your sisters in Christ is withdrawing, that's a sign. You need to go to... I want to encourage you, go to her and talk to her and say, you know, I've noticed you're missing small group. Are you okay? And obviously life happens. Just because somebody's missed for a season doesn't necessarily mean this. But watch out. We are our sister's keepers. Um, If you notice a guy, either have your husband go, 
you don't go unless it's your actual physical brother I would recommend you don't go I recommend you find another guy to go to him um, and if you need help with that let me know but that is that is one of the biggest symptoms so please be mindful of that for yourself and for others and then one last one and there are more actions I mean you see these lists of enmity and strife and we I, this could be so full of just sin so these are just some um, but returning evil for good he who returns evil for good evil will not depart from his house so that's what it looks like when you're just listening to yourself hearing what you want to hear so then we have a beautiful blue spiral. And it starts down here with I desire plus what I truly deserve equals no demands. And we make our requests, we're obedient, and we're hopeful. And so we want to go through that. Um, so I desire and it's taking my desire. I hold my desire with an open hand before the Lord seeking his will. And again, I'm going to say it again. I want to remind you, if it's a sinful desire, you want something that you know is sin. Don't ask God for it. He's not going to give it to you. And you just need to, at that point, repent. Um, Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. So with an open hand, you make your request known to God. So then the next thing is, think about what do I deserve? What does scripture say I deserve? Well, Romans 2, 5 through 6 says, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. All of us were in a state of being helpless and hopeless and being God-haters. And what we deserved was God's wrath. Praise God for salvation, because we are not under his wrath. The cup is empty. But I need to remind myself that what I have in Christ is because of what he has done for me. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We also not only deserve wrath, we deserve death. God's word tells us that. That's what before becoming a believer. And I, we became believers because of what God did. Not because, again, now I'm so wonderful and smart and figured out that, you know, I need Jesus. No, God gave me a new heart so that I would repent. And just a reminder for us, and I know there are a lot of difficult circumstances that a lot of, of you may be in. Um, and have been through. But for the believer, our worst day on earth is better than what we deserve. And our very worst, most awful, horrible day 
is as bad as it's going to get for us. And here's the other news. For the non-believer, their worst, most awful, horrible day here is as good as it's going to get for them after they die. So we need to have a biblical understanding of what we truly deserve to help us think rightly. And I want to recommend um, this book, The Greener Grass Conspiracy, Finding Contentment on Your Side of the Fence. This is an excellent help in right thinking regarding contentment, but you can use that for right thinking not just in contentment, but in everything. And so I brought a quote from him, um, and he says, Do you see how the gospel should obliterate complaining? Complaining is almost always rooted in a faulty sense of rights and privileges. Each of us has a lengthy list of things that we think we deserve. When life starts to short circuit and we don't get what we deserve, we start complaining. We imagine ourselves as the injured party who has every right to complain. But the gospel makes it very clear that the only thing we truly deserve is hell. God created us and therefore he owns us. As created dependent beings, we owe him complete, unwavering allegiance and obedience. So we make our request known to God with an open hand, understanding that what we deserve is wrath and death. And because of that, we make no demands. So we have an open hand before the Lord. So what kind of attitudes? It's the same thing. You can look on this one and see the symptoms to know... Am I, am I in a place where I should be? So what kinds of attitudes will we see when we're shepherding our heart throughout the day? Thinking rightly about our desires and what we deserve. We'll see a submissive spirit. We'll see, as James says, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. We will be living according to God's will. We'll be content Philippians 4.10 says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have re revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. And this is Paul speaking. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And that's, if you struggle with contentment, I would... I would highly encourage you to read this book. Um, it really is helpful to get your mind to learn how to be content. And I found this um, because I this quote came from Dave Harvey, Harvey speaking in on marriage. And one of the things he said that kind of struck me that I'd never thought about. Godly contentment has to be more than being thankful you're better off than someone else. True contentment comes by comparing what we have to what our sins deserve. That means we find our contentment in the gospel. 
because oftentimes what we can do is I have a problem and I make myself feel better by saying well, somebody else has a way bigger problem than I do and sometimes perspective is helpful I'm not saying you never do that but that's not that's not where we find our contentment. We find our contentment in the gospel, in what the Lord has done for us. So my attitude, I won't be seeking my own way. I won't be wise in my own estimation. I'll be humble. Philippians says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, Regard one another as more important than yourselves. My attitude will be humble. I'll be peaceable and peaceful. I won't be in a frenzy. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And Colossians 3.15 tells us, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. I'll be joyful. I'll rejoice always. I'll show self-control. I'll know that I need endurance, and that that comes from the Lord. James 1, 3, and 4 says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Needing strength. I'll be trusting. I'll be trusting in the Lord. And you'll see actions. I'll be making my request known to God. And I'll be patient. Again, you can look at the fruit of the Spirit and see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I'll see patience. I'll be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 In everything give thanks. And if you're wondering what's God's will for you, in everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I'll be forgiving. I'll be gentle. I'll be kind. I'll be loving. And remember, 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a description of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And I'll overcome evil with good. I'll be devoted to prayer. I'll, like 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. And it's not vengeful. So those, those are the attitudes and actions when I'm shepherding my, my heart throughout the day. I should be seeing those things growing in my life. Are you going to do it perfectly? 
Well, I know I don't. I know there are times that my life can look like, and my thoughts especially, like that orange spiral down into the pit of despair. But as we grow in Christ and become more like him, that should be changing. You should be growing. So we'll be walking in obedience and we'll be hopeful. Um, now, I want to spend the rest of our time just giving some practical, how in the world do you do this? How, how should my life, how can I, what are the things God has called me to do so that my life can look more like a blue, pretty spiral upward rather than the orange spiral into the pit? And I love that it's blue because that one, these are my favorite colors. If you come to my house, you'll see lots of this. And like, especially that part, I like the green, but I, I'm not a big red person. That's just me. So it worked out well that the spirals fit what I like. So, um, so how, how do we do this? And ladies, I want to just encourage us that our goal is not just to put on right thinking, just for right thinking's sake. Because, you know, now I have a pretty blue spiral and I'm hopeful. No. The reason why, why, why do we do anything? It's to glorify God in everything we do. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do. And remember, eating and drinking are things that we do all the time. They're mundane. We don't even, you know, I mean, we have to pre prepare it. So you do have to think a little bit. But once it's prepared, you just eat and drink and you're done. Um, those are mundane things. But whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And before we actually look at, at the kind of my little practical list, there's two things I wanted us to consider. Um, how are you doing physically? Have you had enough sleep? Are you getting exercise? Are you eating well? Is it that time of the month? Um, we sometimes can so separate our physical body from our spiritual body and forget that, you know what, our physical body does impact our spiritual life. It does impact our inner man. Now, I'm not giving you an excuse where you can say, well, Ann Angstit said, if I have a headache, I can disobey God. And I'm not saying that. But I am saying, when you've been up all night with your baby, when you have a migraine headache and you can't even see straight, it sometimes it is harder to obey God, but we're still called to do it. And don't just have that grace for yourself. Have that grace for the people that you live with. You know, if, if you know somebody's struggling and, you know, they come home and they've had a really awful day or no sleep, even with your little ones, you know, when, when they're walking around with their finger in their mouth because they're getting teeth and you can see and, and you know they're hurting, we need to show grace. We need to understand it doesn't mean we don't 
discipline. It doesn't mean we don't take care of things, but show grace for that. And then the second thing to evaluate your life is what are you filling your mind with in those times where, you know, it's quiet, if you ever have that. What kind of music are you listening to? What kind of TV are you watching? What kind of movies, books, magazines, um, the internet? And here's just a practical example. So if you are a person that is struggling to be content, say with your home, well, you might not want to spend a whole lot of time on Pinterest. Or you might not want to walk through model homes. Or be on house. I mean, it used to be the, the encouragement was, you know, don't buy the magazine Country Living and, you know, beautiful, uh, better homes and gardens. Stay away from that. Well, now they don't, we don't even hardly have magazines. Now, am I saying you can't have Pinterest? Am I saying you can't look at houses, you can't walk through model homes? No, of course not. I am not saying that. But I'm saying you need to understand yourself. And if that's something that breeds discontentment for you, be wise and, and get it out of your life. So now let's move on to some practical things that will help you to shepherd your heart throughout the day. The first thing, obviously, is to pray. Ask for God's help. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Ask God for his help. The second thing, which you won't be surprised, is Bible reading, scripture memory, meditation, which means not like emptying your mind and being a blank slate, but it's meditating. It's, we talked about this last night in our small group. It's chewing on scripture. It's like that the description of the cow chewing its cud over and over and over. We want to meditate on scripture like that. It's looking at the promises of God. It's renewing your mind. Thinking on truth. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. That's what we are called to do. Now, part of your homework last week was to list your go-to passages. So I would like, like, I don't know, a couple people. What's your go-to passage? And if you don't answer, I'm just going to call on you. Oh, Erica, you made eye contact. What's one of your go-to passages? Okay, anybody else? Oh, eye contact. Oh, 
Melissa. Uh, I wrote down Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, which says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. Yeah. Praise God. I mean, that's such encouragement. Anybody else? You want to go? Sure. Thanks, Heather. Um, rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. Philippians 4, 4. Just yep. Because rejoicing twice. Yes, love that. All right, it's so important to have those go-to passages. And I wanted to share another quote from this book, um, from the Greener Grass Conspiracy. He says, the promises of God are our weapons in the battle against discontentment. These are my words, and wrong thinking, okay? These are our weapons in the battle against wrong thinking. For every temptation to be discontent or have wrong thinking, there's a promise of God that meets that temptation. The abundant grace of God promised in the scriptures far exceeds any circumstance we encounter. But if we're going to fight discontentment effectively, we need to stockpile our weapons. When temptation strikes, we need to have go-to promises to sustain and strengthen us. There should be pages in our Bible that are tattered and torn from constant use. And I was at a conference a couple weeks ago, and these were just a few promises of God um, from Trey Richardson, who's the pastor over at Sovereign Grace. And I just want to share these with you because these Again, these are like a foundation for us to rest in. God will never leave or forsake us. That's Matthew 28, 20. God is always at work, Romans 8, 28. God is with you and can give you all things, Romans 8, 31 and 32. God is loving. His steadfast love endures forever, Psalm 136. God protects us from overwhelming temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God will always love you, Romans 8, 35 through 39. And I'd also want to encourage you, put on the armor of God, Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. God's word is the sword of the spirit. We need that sword. And I also want to remind you, James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, 
so deceiving yourself. We want to do what God's word says. The next thing, a great practice, if you are struggling and in a place where you need help, study the attributes of God. And that will be part of your homework. So I'm not going to say anything more than that except to spend time studying the attributes of God. Know your God. Spend time studying the heroes of the faith. Um, some, just a few examples from Scripture. Joseph, Job, Paul, obviously Jesus. Um, read Hebrews 11 and 12. Read the book of 1 Peter. If you are struggling, those are places to go for strength. Another thing that we can do is remember your identity in Christ. And I want to recommend Smed's message from August 31st, 2014. Um, he, it was in kind of response to what's been going on, had been going on, especially at that time regarding race relationships and what some trouble going on in the world. But one of the things Smed did was he talked about the Christian's identity in Christ. And he read, and I remember as he was reading, I think we cheered at the end because it was so encouraging because he read through, I mean, it's, I think it's, well, it's not all these pages, but it is all these pages. I mean, I could just go through. We're uncondemnable. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We're sons of God. We're adopted. We're heirs of God. If you're struggling, get this. Print it off. Put it in your Bible. Put it on your iPad and pull it out and read it, and you will be strengthened. The other can tell I'm pretty visual. Um, your transformation of man chart. It, this is what God has done for us. You know, look, this is what we used to be, but here's what we are now. We, you know, we are, um, I okay, we have ongoing faith. We're progressing in Christ-likeness. Um, we are, here's some regeneration event benefits. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We're a member of Christ's body. We're members of one another. We have confident access to God. Go through this. Pull this out if you are struggling. If you want to strengthen your mind, know who you are and what God has done for you. And you know what? You can use this if a friend is struggling. Um, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Remind yourself of what you were and what you are now, what God has brought you through. Singing and worship. And I want to mention our songbook. Just, you can flip open to any page. Every promise of your word. I mean, there are, this is like a treasure chest. How great is our God? Just the titles are encouraging. But read the words. Um, I told somebody recently that was struggling with their thoughts. I said, okay, just blast praise music. Just blast it as loud as you can stand. Um, Spotify 
and I was actually able to do this. My daughter helped me. Um, th- there's a Grace Bible Church playlist, and it's all the songs that we sing at church. I, I'm not sure how many songs are on there. Blast that music. That is food for your soul. Um, the next thing, keep believers at close range. Fellowship. And that's why one of one important thing that the elders want, and you know, I know they understand their seasons, but they want us all to be in a small group. This is another part of fellowship, our discussion groups here, being being in Wellspring. Um, it is important that we spend time with other believers. And like I said, one of the marks that you're in trouble is if you're pulling away. And so that is something that will help you, um, is, is having that person that may be texting somebody, hey, I'm struggling with my thoughts right now. And they may shoot you back. You know what? Take your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. They'll, they're, they're there. We are here to encourage one another. Another thing when, when you're struggling or is to serve others. And you can serve them by praying for them, sending them an encouraging text. Um, but serving one another is another way of shepherding our hearts. Another thing we can do is make a Thanksgiving list. Make a list of what you're thankful for. When you get to 100, you can take a break for a day, okay? We have so much to be thankful for. And we're told to, in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. So be thankful. The next thing is keep eternity in view. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Remember, this is not all there is. And if you're really, really, really struggling and in a place where you are really having a hard time um, shepherding your heart, thinking rightly, I want to encourage you to do the next right thing. And it may be doing the next right thing again, doing the next right thing again and again. And that may be, you know, there are times where life is really difficult and all you can do is don't look left and don't look right and you just do the next right thing and so I want to encourage you there are times I I know life has its struggles and difficulties and sometimes it's just okay Lord help me what is the next right thing and the next right thing may be getting up and taking a shower um, and sometimes doing the, the next right thing is calling a friend and saying, you know what, I'm struggling, will you help me? Um, 
I also want to encourage us when things are going well, when it's life isn't throwing the bombs at you and you don't, you know, that things don't feel like they're out of control. Be thankful and spend that time getting to know God deeper and deeper and better and better so that when those bombs do come and when you know when your life is rattled and you're shaken and and you don't all this is all you can do you've prepared um and i want to give an example and i got permission from kim to share this with you of what what does you know when something happens how do you shepherd your heart and this two weeks ago when we had the arizona earthquake which I noticed we have an Arizona earthquake in California. It's a San Francisco, it's a Northridge, it's by location, but in Arizona we claim it. It's our earthquake, okay? And most, I mean, I, I woke up, I thought our house was settling or something, or some a picture fell off the wall, but I heard it. So I lived through the Arizona earthquake. Well, Kim, Scott and Kim, they were think she told me like a mile from the epicenter of the Northridge earthquake. I mean, it was bad. The building across from them smashed. She's a little more sensitive to earthquakes than I am, okay, because I haven't been through that. And so we were talking about it last week, um, with, you know, during our time together with the little guys. And, and the little guys don't know about earthquakes because we wouldn't have said that in front of four-year-olds, okay, just so you know. We wouldn't have freaked out your children. I don't want anybody to think that. But anyways, so they were in the big one. And so when the earthquake at 1130, she had to, at 1130 at night, shepherd her heart. And this is the verse that she used. Isaiah 5410, For the mountains may be removed, and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. That's Kim's earthquake verse. We need to have those kinds of things for us. Um, we need to have God's word so in our hearts that when when the house shakes we know what to do we know where to go so please pray with me father thank you for your word lord thank you for being near us thank you for loving us and caring for us lord i do pray that as we know you more and more that we will love you more and more and lord that you will just Help us to shepherd our hearts so that we trust you, that we remember that you are a good God and that your loving kindness is for us. And if you are for us, who can be against us? Who in heaven do we have besides you? Lord, where else can we go but to you? So Lord, thank you. I thank you for each lady here. I pray for their time in their discussion groups. Lord, and I just pray that we would not only be hearers of your word, but that we would do what it says. In Jesus' name, amen.